0: Good morning. I am so honored and excited to have international, internationally acclaimed speaker. And I am really confident saying that because, and I can't wait for you to talk about that, but also TEDx speaker and really um, international expert on humor and leadership, Karen Buxman. Welcome. Woohoo. Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> I am so excited to talk to you because... You are an expert in something that in a lot of cases, subtle, but so incredibly important all the way up. So we're not just talking about established leaders, but also for emerging leaders. Um, But if we want to speak up and be heard and have the impact that we're, not just that we're capable of having, but that we're really called to have, then strategic humor is a vital piece of the puzzle. And I'm so excited that you're gonna share some tips on that today.
1: I am excited to be here. I'm a big fan of yours and um, quite frankly, what I have seen of your work, as from when the first time I knew you and um you know which has been several years ago and and I kind of had a feel for what you did in terms of your coaching and stuff and now I just I just wanted you to know um that I'm president of the fan club (laughs) love the book love the book and uh, you're doing amazing work you're doing amazing work so I'm excited for you thanks for inviting me
0: Yeah, you're welcome and thanks for the tips. There were some really formidable tips as I head up to Microsoft to do speaking and do some panel stuff up there. So thank you for that expertise. And so out of the gates, you know, we all know that there's differences between men and women when it comes to humor. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to know if you can share a little bit of the nuances and really look at both sides of that. And so when I coach, you know, women in technology or, uh, or I have emerging leaders in my group, but mainly work with high level women in technology, they're a little bit apprehensive about using humor. They have some concerns. That's one issue. The other issue is that sometimes they've experienced humor from their male counterparts and it has not been well received. So can you speak, To the difference between um, the difference in humor between men and women, how maybe we should be, uh, men and women should be aware using it. And then also um, just both sides of that.
1: Yes, yes. So let me unpack that a little bit because we've got a lot of things all kind of scrunched together. And one of the things that I want to unpack first is that what we're talking about, you and I, is the use of humor strategically for influence because when you and I are working with high performers and and there's some some overlap in our avatars we, you know we're working with people who've gone from good to great now they want to go from great to world class and you know what we're talking about here are some nuances but uh, i have a book coming out this fall with uh, forbes books called funny means money strategic humor for influence and world domination, and one of the things yeah, that I love the title. <laughs> thank you. One of the things that that I've identified for folks is that number one, there's three purposes of humor. Um, one is entertainment, and that's what everybody thinks humor is. It's about entertaining, um, and and that's great. And your success with with entertaining somebody is measured in laughs. Um, the Second is well-being. how can it keep you healthy? How can it keep you resilient? How can it affect your spirituality? Those kinds of things and we measure that in the in the you know quality of your well-being. Um, the third is influence. and influence is about how do we use it to persuade, to inform, to motivate, to um, inspire other people and lead other people And we don't measure that in laughter, we measure that in the quantity and quality of our relationships. And so when I'm working, whether it's on a stage of 10,000 plus or whether I'm I'm coaching one-on-one, one of the things that we look at is how do you use humor intentionally to influence others? And I identified seven key factors, seven building blocks, to effective humor in terms of influence. And when you get these seven right, when you understand them, when you grasp them, when you embrace them, woohoo, man, you crush it. But if you if you miss any of those a little or a lot, it can be anything from a misfire to a nuclear <laughs> blow up in your face. You I've, know? I've
0: witnessed it? one of those before. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Too, I have too, and, and you know, a lot of this has been learned from personal experience. But the number one thing that both men and women miss, but I think it's, you know, because uh, because we see this even more so, I think, in women. One of the things that we miss is the bond, the relationship. Um, the stronger your relationship, the more effective your humor will be, and the safer it will be. You know, if you if you put something out there and it's a misfire, if it crosses the line, which is a common concern, if the relationship is strong, you get a pass. But if this is a first-time client, a first-time customer, somebody that you haven't known very long, um, now you know, you're on a, a, a job interview, wh- whatever the case may be, now if you Miss that um, real um, relationship with that other person. Now you're creating a situation that could damage or even destroy that relationship. And so, the way you know, when men and women are communicating, we have different communication styles and we have different um, styles in our humor as well. Men, when they are when they are entertaining and joking and playing with other men, um, their humor tends to be more aggressive. It tends to be shorter. You know, they, they like the jokes. They like targeting one another. They like pranking one another women. When they are communicating with other women, we tend to connect in story. We're more inclusive. We lift one another up. And so when you, combine those two, you have to really understand the communication styles of the other, what will work, what will be received. Uh, You know, a a great example for people to go look at, uh, the May-June issue of Harvard Business Review had a great article on, you know, uh, that was something of the gist was, was this joke sexual harassment? And the fictionalized case history was about two gentlemen who are joking with one another, a third party comes in, a woman, And one of the gentlemen continues the joke with her. And while it worked with the other guy, it was seen as potential sexual harassment with the woman. Now, unfortunately, HBR didn't address the humor piece of it, but that's what often happens.
0: Yeah, and I wanna, on that point, so look at where we are today. I mean, humor is different probably now than it was a couple, even a couple years ago, much less like a decade ago. So can you speak to that too, now that people are hypersens- hypersensitive and now the, you know, as, I, okay, I'm going to get a little backlash for this, but maybe Me Too is kind of, kind of swung. The pendulum is swinging, right? Really far one way. And so when yeah. people are hypersensitive, is there something to be aware of so we can use st- strategic humor without being offensive and to use it to influence. And if you know my coaching, I'm a hundred percent obsessed with influence. Um, I speak about it a lot. I coach about it a lot. So I'm really intrigued by this, but yeah. can you speak a little bit to the, the hypersensitivity of the culture right now? And yeah. how do we yeah. kind of work around those lines?
1: Yes. you know, and, and I know this is particularly of interest to anybody who has worked or is working in HR. And some here, let me just like tick off the seven areas, which are the building blocks and how this, you know, we we talked about bond, your environment, is anybody um, outside of your bond, part of the the group who can hear, see, or experience your humor, your authenticity, safety, can anyone be physically or psychologically harmed? timing or emotional distance has enough time elapsed because a lot of humor comes from pain and discomfort, but it's not funny until you have some perspective on it. And then your content and the delivery. And so what you're talking about in these kinds of situations is, um, is the content, you know, can you use certain kinds of words? Can you use certain kinds of things? And, and it goes back again to bond. If you are in a private conversation with somebody that you have a great relationship with, you can, you can use jokes that perhaps, or use stories or use humor that outside in the work setting, you just can't. You have to understand that I'm in this particular environment right now. I don't have a great relationship. Or I don't know what their, their views are on this. And in those kinds of cases, the safest type of humor to use in that case is self-effacing humor, poking a little bit of fun at yourself, because here, you know, share like you, you know that I love the brain and I live at the mm-hmm. intersection of humor and the brain. That's what a neurohumorist does. And when you are using some self-effacing humor, what you're doing is you're showing that other person that you have a little bit of vulnerability and subconsciously that puts their brain in a toward state saying, oh, I feel safe with you. But in something like what you're talking about, Me Too movement, sexual harassment, whatever those are, when people use that kind of humor, now you've put the brain in a threat state, in an away state, and, and they're not hearing your message. They're not mm-hmm. following your direction or your leadership. So you want to make sure that your humor is intentional and that you're thinking these steps through. It's yeah. humor by choice, not by chance.
0: Yes. And I love that you say that. And one thing when I am working with uh, mainly women, I work with senior leaders, and a lot of times it's in technology, but other male dominated industries, I always say that you need to prepare your brain first before we open our mouth. So what I'm hearing that you're saying is that, and I think you can count me if I'm wrong, but your intention is important that authenticity piece. So if you're if you're thinking um, in a way that's authentic and that you have good intentions with your humor, then you know it's probably okay. But if you are thinking that it you kind of it's malintentioned, then maybe it's not okay. So I think maybe that mental preparation and kind of checking that um, before you open your mouth for that humor might be important too.
1: Yes yes you're so spot on and you know when I work with high performers I'm working um, with the gentleman right now high high level in um, in sales leadership and he really is wanting to be funny spontaneously but he's not naturally funny and what one of the things that I came to realize with him is that we really needed to focus first on his appreciation of humor so that he could recognize and he could even see those opportunities and then input the humor strategically and even spontaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one one of the tricks for high performers, we call it humor spontaneity and planned spontaneity. It's like, it sounds like it's something off the top of your head, but you really thought it through ahead of time. And it doesn't mean that you can't just have fun with humor. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying that for people who use it intentionally and consistently, now, now they're reaping benefits. Now they're building their resilience. Now they're building their influence. Um, now they're actually harnessing the power. Um, it, Robert Cialdini's book on persuasion—you know, the one of the number one things in there was the the pillar of um, likability in terms of establishing influence all other things being equal people would rather do business with someone that they feel good about that they see as fun that they like and so how can we start weaving these things in intentionally and empower ourselves so that we have that competitive edge yeah that sounds so important
0: and we have a question in that if you don't mind i'm going to ask and sure. the question is <clears throat> so um, When it comes to, we're we're talking about verbal
1: humor, Mm -hmm.
0: but when it comes to emails and prospecting, Mm. so now we have to consider that a different type of communication, is it appropriate to ever use humor in a prospecting email? And can you give us some tips on that or any written type of communication?
1: Wow, this is a great, great question, because one of the things that helps with humor in the brain is mirror neurons. And so my brain, when I see you smile, it makes me feel good. I smile and I can understand your intention. When we take out that visual piece of the brain, and now all we have is the writing, we have to be more careful with our humor, but we can still use it. Um, and I think that in writing, it needs to be subtle. It doesn't need to be in your face unless you have a great relationship with this person. Uh, a quick example is um, you know, prospecting on LinkedIn. For me, I will write to someone and say in my opening line, I, I, I see you've no neurohumorist among your contacts. I can remedy that. Let's connect. And I can't tell you how many times people will write back and go, I have no idea what a neuro humorist is, mm-hmm. but I think I need one, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just, it's a little bit of subtle humor to include maybe a humorous quote or a humorous image um, in something in your signature line or your tagline. Um, quick, quick ent- in, uh, example here is in my signature line of email, I make reference to my Goalcast video. I, I think you've seen it, Cheryl. It's like it's got 1.3 million hits on Goalcast. And, you know, I could just type that in as uh, as part of a, a serious little piece. But behind it, in parentheses, a little bit of self-effacing humor. The word crazy with lots of E's and a question mark. It's like crazy, right? You know, it's just, again, subtle. We're not measuring the success of our humor in laughter. We're measuring it in, is it creating a toward state in the brain? Are they feeling that I'm friendly? Are they feeling that I'm likable? Are they feeling um, in a toward state rather than a threatened state? And so these kinds of things are what I love to walk people through, whether it's on your website, whether it's on your email, whether it's in your one sheets or marketing materials. There's lots of ways to subtly weave it in without being in your face.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing, it's definitely appropriate, um, not just verbal, but in written. You maybe have to be a little bit more uh, mindful, a more cautious, yeah. a little more cautious. Okay. And what about <clears throat> um, what about? Well, two things. First of all, from what I've seen in the organizations that I've worked with and the leaders that I work with, when they can get their mindset uh, engaged and when they have pure intentions, and when they um, are very authentic, and they learn how to influence and use humor strategically, then people seem to work a lot harder for people that they like. I know that sounds very pedestrian. And so I work a lot with leaders to um, get the most and unlock the potential out of their themselves, but also their teams. And what I've seen is when this explodes is when they know how to do this in a way when their team, they can almost create a sense of obligation because when teams seem to, um, there seems to be an amazing balance between authority and a little bit of humor because they are, it's kind of like the strict parent, but that shows a lot of love, right? (laughs) And so that seems really, really important. So it seems in to really get this down is important for in written and verbal communication. And I have another question for if you don't mind, there might be some people listening going, well, I'm not really funny. Um, What if I'm not taken seriously if I try to use humor? Or what if I'm what if I'm a guy or what if it doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, but what if they're worried of offending someone, especially if they've kind of stuck their toe and tried humor and it hasn't been well received. So what would you say to those people that are, you know, Karen, I think what you're saying is really interesting. I know some people do it well, but I'm not sure if I could go there.
1: Well, a a lot of times when I'm working with high performers, particularly one-on-one, one one of the things they will often say is, you know, but but what if I'm not funny? And my answer is, great, (laughs) because you don't have to be funny. I remember working at a at a a retreat up in Napa, and um, there was a, a woman CEO there who came out after break, and she was German, very German, and she came up after me and she said, you know, I really appreciate. The fact that you say, I don't have to be funny because I'm not funny. And I'm thinking, yeah, I kind of get that. She goes, and I don't want to be funny. And I was like, okay, I get that too. She goes, but I think it's important for my people to be allowed to use humor. And so I really appreciate that. And I want to know more. And so uh, when you are using humor as a high performer, it's more important to be the humor appreciator than the humor initiator. And you can actually leverage other people's humor, you can encourage it in other people. And this actually, you know, and giving them guidance, because this kind of comes back to something you said, kind of at the beginning of that particular question was, you know, what if it just kind of all Goes wild, and, and, and what what if you know you don't have that parent figure, and so you know this is a concern I hear from high performers. Well, what if I allow people to use humor in the workplace? We're never going to get anything done in my office, and so here's the here's the important piece. You you connect the two. You pair the two. You you set the tone for humor while setting high expectations. Now if you only set the tone for humor and nothing else, then John Belushi's Animal House in your office. And if, you if you're too young to know what Animal House is, go to YouTube, look at that. Um, on the other hand, if you're not allowing for humor, but you're just drilling those high expectations, then the mindset of the employees is firings will continue until morale improves. And so that sweet spot is the one in the middle when we compare the two, and you know, you can leverage, you can encourage other people. Um, it, can I give you a, a, an example of some th- of this? Uh, actually, there's a, a digital software company in New York City, and the uh, the CEO had reached this level of of high performance, and the business is going as well as uh, as he felt that it probably would and he'd kind of reached a a plateau doing well and so kind of as a um, for himself he took a stand-up comedy class and just it was so powerful for him that he saw the importance of humor and actually had the gentleman who instructed him come back and teach an improv class to his office and it became so effective in starting to get that ball rolling with the appreciation and the use of humor that he said they saw an immediate uptick in communication. People who were working in cubicles were now not only talking to one another, but hanging out with one another after work and that they went on to become the number one place to work in the city that year, beating out Google and all sorts of other larger companies and that it retained their employees, it actually blew up the list of people who wanted to work there because they were re- wanting to recruit all their friends, particularly millennials. They said that the, the clients who c- weren't quite in alignment with this kind of new humorous vibe um, dropped away, but he's, and he used the word vibe. He said, but we attracted like-minded clients and now everybody enjoys their work a whole lot more. And so he would, you know, he wasn't the one who was entertaining people all the time, but he was encouraging his people to take on this new mindset and still maintain those high expectations. And it just really leveled up their company again.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine that had an incredible impact on the bottom line, too, because people yes. um So I wanted to ask you too, along the lines of the last question of, well, you know, what if this humor thing isn't for me, maybe the people that see the value, but they're still a little unsure. Um, When we were getting ready for the call, we talked a little bit about Steve Jobs. So can you take a minute or so to to share that story? Because it might help people lock in and say, okay, well, maybe I can do this.
1: You know, it's interesting because a lot of people, we see Steve Jobs, the pictures of Steve Jobs, and and he was an intense person. And most people did not think of him as somebody who was gregarious and funny or whatever. But uh, there's a couple of great instances where he really portrays somebody who grasped the importance of strategic humor. Um, one of them was when he launched the iPhone. And in this launch, those of us who are nerdy about this kind of strategic humor, you know, they went back and dissected it and they found that in his, you know, really intense, serious um, message, but it wasn't necessarily delivered so seriously, he was getting about six LPMs. And, and, And Cheryl, that's the like nerd geek term for laughs per minute. And, you know, he's getting this laughter and and he knew and this is like la- six LPMs is, is what you would get for an amateur stand-up comedian. And yet he knew the importance of engaging. He prepared, he planted, planned spontaneity. He planted certain kinds of lines. He was a genius. Um, and, you know, another piece that I, I hadn't shared with you, but for your um, viewers to go back and look at was the way Steve Jobs, Responded to an insult after he had just come off of of being out of work for ten years, returning to Apple for after a ten year hiatus back in 1997. And as he's coming on board and addressing the audience, there's a heckler in the audience, and he he took a pause, he took a breath, and then he responded with humor and. He did it just very subtly, very masterfully. And, you know, it just said, you know, you can please some of the people some of the time, but, you know, and the audience starts to laugh. He endears them, they're on his side. And then he continues down and, and seriously addresses the situation. And that's a whole other technique that you and I can talk about at a later time when you're addressing that hostile question and responding with humor.
0: Yeah. And sometimes what I get it is when I'm working with women that already have a seat at the table, um, whether they're going into a staff meeting with the, you know, the CEO staff or they have a board seat or what have you, because they have put in the work, they have climbed the ladder, they are there, they have that proverbial seat at the table, but they're not feeling heard, they're not having the influence or the impact that they want and deserve. And so if they can find a way. And another thing that I've learned is that being annoyed or angry um, does not typically get you the influence and the impact that you want deserve. And so I think that this would be really appropriate and really helpful to understand even when meetings get a little hostile. You know, I worked with a woman, uh, chief human resources officer, she would always go last in the the meetings with the CEO and his staff, and half the time she wouldn't even get to speak. Mm. And so she was really, I mean, rightfully so angry and annoyed, because she was the voice of the people. And because her voice wasn't being heard, she felt like she wasn't representing the people. And so she initially talked to the CEO, and he was like, no, she didn't get what she wanted. But when she took a step back and learned, you know, worked through being influential in a calm and authentic way, then she did. And she was intentional. She wanted to speak third. So she learned how to maneuver that mindset and that communication and now she is speaking third. But I can see how interjecting a little bit of humor because what she was told is she wasn't responsible for um, revenue generation directly. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, when
0: we plan that out, actually she is. Um, and we you know planned out that conversation, but I could see how when she heard that she flipped into, thinking, wow, this person's a jerk. Yeah, yeah. That in her head, so of course it comes out her mouth. Right, I mean, that's just how <laughs> it is. I don't know if you've ever, you know, with your partner, I've never done this with my husband, of course, had a tone, I'm being funny, but, you know, whatever you're thinking, you know, it just comes out your mouth. And so I could see how if you can learn to be strategically humorous or use strategic humor, especially in hostile situations yes to help you to be authentic and have the impact and ultimately and um, what influence is help you have the other person come up to your point of view and ultimately make that um, make that shift. And so yes. um, we're just about at time but I want to ask you this is a really big year for you. Um, um, so you have a book coming out in the fall, funny means money. And can you tell us, just take a minute to tell us about that. And then also where we can find maybe a little excerpt or download or a little bit more information.
1: Yeah. It's for those who, again, are, you know, if you've gone from good to great, but you want to go from great to world-class or Maybe even if you're just the like, great looks really good to you right now, <laughs> and you know you want to improve your influence, and you you understand that you don't have to be a mile ahead of your your competition. It's it's that nuance at this part of the game. Um, then this is something that I think would be helpful for you to consider. And uh, funny means money. Strategic humor for influence and world domination uh, will be coming out with Forbes Books this fall. But if you'd like a sneak peek at a sample of the book. Um, that can be found on um, the page HumorForMe, H-U-M-O-R-F-O-R-M-E.com. And there you'll be able to download a sample of the book. And I think you'll find it uh, very helpful. And, you know, if, if you are up for it, then um, we will continue to send you periodically prizes of unspeakable value <laughs> um, and keep you updated on uh, on the book when it comes out and where you can find it. So
0: awesome. I am all about world domination for heart center leaders. So if I can help you, you can find me, um, here on LinkedIn. You can send me a direct message or go to, uh, Cheryl I want to make some of this content real for you and answer any questions. Um, or if you want a transcript of the show, we will be, um, recording the video and also um, putting together transcripts, you can reach out to me directly. And if this strategic humor you think is a way to get weaponized, because I'm all about world, I mean, this is, I'm kind of crossing a line talking about this and hopefully it won't offend anyone, but world domination and weaponizing people, but the right people, heart-centered leaders. So if I can help or serve you in any way, Or if what you have heard from Karen, you're like, yes, this is a tool that I need at my tool belt, I would highly recommend that you either reach out to me at CherylKlein.com or go ahead and get this download preview of Karen's book, um, Funny Means Money, that will be coming out with Forbes books. And you can do that at HumorForMe.com. Thank you, the amazing Karen Buxman. I so appreciate your time and all these gold nuggets that you have left with everyone, me included. And um, put me on your, you know, I know you've been really generous uh, with my book and really talking about Zoned In a lot. Oh, and there it is. And really using it because, (laughs) and yeah and so thank you so much um and so i think it might be a good combination because for people that are maybe like i don't know about like i i see the value i want to do it but maybe i'm a little worried or nervous so laying that foundation getting zoned in while you prepare yourself um to use strategic humor that might actually be a good marriage in that so i think we have future conversations to be had um but thank you again. I look forward to continuing the conversation and sign me up. I want to get one of those first copies of Funny Means Money.
1: I know you're hurrying off. I think you're heading to Microsoft now to work with women in the cloud. I know you're going <laughs> to knock it out of the park, girl.
0: Yeah, leaving on Friday, moderating a leadership panel and speaking up at Microsoft Women in Cloud. So I am super excited about that. And I will start practicing and taking some of these gold nuggets to heart. And I look forward to learning more from you. If you want to hear more from Karen, again, check out humorforme.com. And she will be glad to give you some things. We'll just um, really settle, but help you own your shift. And All feel right. free
1: to connect with me here on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Thanks again, Karen. I look forward to chatting with you next time. You bet. Okay, take care. Okay.